peace. Not judgment, fear, trembling. Peace and goodwill. That's great news. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, to destroy the works of the evil one. He came to give life and life more abundant. It's actually good news. It's wonderful news. He is love. God is love. Love is patient. Love's kind. Keeps no record of wrongs. That's him. That's his definition. And his delight is that as we are joined to him as part of his body, we would live and enjoy the fullness of the benefits of his kingdom. Everything pertaining to life and godliness that we would enjoy and live in the fullness of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. We have this. And so Christians should be the happiest, most pure, peaceful, joyful people on the planet. Not looking for um, their needs to be filled by other people, but receiving from him an overflow of perfect love that casts out fear, having all of their needs uh, filled according to his riches in glory so that everywhere they go, they can overflow with peace and joy, right? However, the reality is a lot of believers don't live in a continual state of perfect peace. Do you believe we're meant to live in perfect peace all the time? Is this an invitation in the Bible? Well, it's an invitation waiting for our response. Everything's been given to us. He says, it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom, what's the kingdom? Righteousness, peace, and joy. My good pleasure to give it to you, just as he gives forgiveness. But unless we respond in faith and take it, receive that forgiveness in faith, believing I need it and you delight to give it to me, thank you, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. Unless we receive the kingdom in the same way, righteousness, peace, and joy by faith, we don't actually begin to walk in the benefits of it. He's laid a banqueting table before us in the presence of our enemies. Hallelujah. And, and if you read 2 Peter chapter 1, he talks about how we've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, that we're partakers of the divine nature. Hallelujah. But then he goes on to say, Make every effort to add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and all these things. And you think, okay, well, there it is. I've got to go after those things. I've got to get those things. I've got to pursue those things. What he's actually saying, I believe, is that he's laid a banqueting table in front of you like a big buffet. Anyone ever been to a buffet? Well, I love going to a buffet with my family because if I taste something good, I'm like, Oh, you need to try this. Have you tried this? You need to try this. Did you taste the salmon? It's amazing. The Bible tells us that he's laid a banqueting table before us in the presence of our enemies. And he's, he's like us in that way. He's saying, I want you to make sure you try this. I want you to make sure you enjoy this. I want you to make sure that you get a hold of this because I put it out there for you. He goes on to say in verse 9, if anyone lacks these virtues... It's because he's short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten 
that he's been cleansed from his past sins. In other words, he's saying, if you're not manifesting all the virtues of Jesus in your life, if you're not enjoying all the fruits of the Spirit in your life and your character, it's not because you're a bad person, a hypocrite who needs to try harder. You've just forgotten that it's already been given to you. You've forgotten who you are, that you've been made clean, that you've been made righteous, that you've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. If you're not enjoying these things, you've forgotten that you have access to them. You have knowledge, but you're not applying what you know. Knowledge that's not applied simply puffs up. So we have to be vigilant to be people who don't just know stuff, but actually go and have it, take it, eat it, and enjoy it. Amen? I want to read to you today from um, Song of Solomon. It's beautiful. Praise the Lord. Let's go to Song of Songs, chapter 2. Where are we? Thank you, Jesus. Big Bible. Thank you, Lord. Song of Songs, chapter two. We're going to read about the bride and the bridegroom. Let's start at verse four. He brought me into his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. This is what the Lord does for us. When we are brought into the kingdom of God, when we receive Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, as the one who takes away our sin, who gives us in exchange his life and his righteousness. His banner over us is love. He just wants to bring us into that place where we are continually being filled to overflowing with all the fullness of God. That we'd be able to comprehend this love, that height, the depth, the width, the breadth, the love of Christ that passes knowledge. He wants to surround us and marinate us in the reality of his love. Let's skip down to verse eight. It says here, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He's looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with their tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. It's a beautiful invitation. You know, the love of our life, the one who loved us more than life, God himself, who gave his life to make us pure and holy through the gift of salvation, the gift of righteousness. This one longs for your company. He gazes through the lattice. He's there when you're trying to comfort yourself with everything else, jealously saying, thinking to himself, 
I've got something so much better for them. I just want to comfort them. I want to love them. I want them to experience my love. He's continually calling to us. And he's saying, it's a new day. It's a new season. I want you to recognize that you don't have to live a humdrum, ho-hum life. But I've got great adventures for you and I to run with. I've laid up good works in advance for you to do. And he calls to you to arise up out of your slumber, up out of complacency, up out of a regular, ordinary life into a life that's expecting continual encounters with the one who loves you. Arise, my beloved, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. You know, the Lord's saying, it's a new day. It's a new season for you. And he's, he's wanting you to respond to the fact that you're hearing it's a new season, you're recognizing it by actually getting up and coming away with him. You know, I really believe the Lord wants to speak to people in this day where he's really wanting to encourage you afresh. And what it's gonna take is you getting alone with him taking time to, to pull away and be alone with him. It, just, it may just be half an hour in your daytime where you pull away and you say, Lord, I wanna know you. I wanna hear your voice. And you can, as you read, you can read the Bible, but then also take the word of God and pray it back to him. Talk to him, ask him for help, cast your cares on him and begin to say, Lord, show me what's on your heart today. Thank you, Father. In faith, I believe you've laid up good works in advance for us to do together. Talk to me, Lord, about what you'd like to do today. Hallelujah. This is an invitation from the Father. If you want to step into a new season, don't just look around and wonder where it's going to come from. Go to the one who is calling you because he has the strategies and the plans for you. Amen? Sometimes in a season of divine acceleration, which is what we are in, there's a sweeping of the Holy Spirit. There's a move of the Holy Ghost happening. You can feel it. It's just God is moving. Miracles are happening. The voice of the Holy Spirit is, is being proclaimed loudly. He is moving. You can almost get swept along with it and, and not realize that you yourself are not um, attaching personally to what he's saying. God's calling you alone individually to come away, come away, let me see your face. He goes on to say this here. Oh my dove, verse 14, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. The clefts of the rock, that's where the Lord hid Moses. When Moses said, I just wanna see your face. So he hid him in the cleft of the rock. He said, I can't show you my face, but I'll, I'll let you see behind. But now we in the new covenant, we're allowed to behold his glory. We can boldly approach the throne of grace. The veil is taken away, hallelujah. And we have given, been given supernatural divine qualification to see him, 
No one can see God and live. So God came and died as us, and those who believe in him are crucified with him so that they now can see him and speak with him face to face. And he says to us, the clefts of the rock is, who is the rock? Jesus is the rock. Jesus' side was pierced, blood and water flowed. Just like when a, a, a mother gives birth, blood and water flows. Jesus gave birth to his bride out of his side. Remember, Adam was put to sleep and the bride was brought out of his side. Well, Jesus was put to death and a new bride was brought out of his side, out of the cleft of the rock. Now, inside him, in him, we are in him, in him I live and move and have my being, in the cleft of the rock, in that place of knowing I'm in him, I'm accepted, I'm not condemned, I'm free from sin, I'm free from shame, I'm free from fear, I'm free from guilt. Lord, I come to let you see my face because I believe you look at me and you don't condemn me, you don't judge me, but you look at me and you say, you are lovely. It takes faith to believe that. John understood that. He said in 1 John chapter three, even if your heart condemns you, he's greater than your heart. In other words, he's saying, I know sometimes you don't feel like God thinks you're lovely, but trust that he, he, what he says above what you feel. Trust that he is more in love with you than you feel like you deserve. Trust that he is more... Um, more wonderful, kinder than you've ever understood. He's greater than your feelings. His truth is so wonderful that you need supernatural power to comprehend this love because it's not human and it's not works-based. It's not performance-based. It's based on the performance of the one who loved you so much he did everything to qualify you to have relationship. For this reason he endured the cross so that you and he could have the face-to-face -face time. Where he looks at you now, he says, you're altogether lovely. Why does he say that? Because he's made all the crooked places straight. He's taken out your old heart and he's given you a new heart. He's taken away your sin and he's given you his righteousness. This isn't just a reasonably good righteousness. It's his righteousness, perfect, holy, pure. Light can't have fellowship with darkness. You cannot be in the body of Christ and have any darkness in you. So Jesus took all the darkness and gave instead his light into your life. Hooray. And you don't disqualify yourself when you mess up. If you go in faith, believing his forgiveness and his grace, he comes and he, he reminds you, you are altogether lovely, forgiven, righteous, clean. It doesn't seem to make sense. You'd think he'd be offended for a while, but he doesn't. Ah, this love is, is beyond our comprehension. That's why you need to pray. You need to pray to comprehend the love of God that passes knowledge. It's not a suggestion. It's an invitation that you desperately need to respond to. He says, in the secret places of the cliff, let me, hear your let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. 
But here's where I wanna get to today, verse 15. Catch us the little foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. You know, righteousness, peace, and joy. My banner over you is love. This magnificent place of being in him, in the cleft of his side, loved, forgiven, righteous, holy, clean. The enemy's terrified of people that would by faith actually live in him, live and experience and enjoy the reality of supernatural righteousness, peace, and joy. So he sends these little foxes to try to spoil the vine of your love. These foxes can look like all sorts of things, but they come to clutter up the space that God wants to fill with supernatural peace. They come to take away that perfect peace, that magnificent, abundant, overwhelming, absolute joy that we're called to live in. They, they can look like the cares of the world. Those cares that choke the vines, they're the, the little foxes. But the Bible tells us, hey, cast your cares on me because I care for you. What he's saying is, hey, I want you to do this for me. Catch those foxes. Any thought that rises above, exalts itself above the knowledge of Christ, catch it, cast it down, because it will spoil the vine of your love. It'll clutter the space that I wanna fill with peace and joy. Any thought that you're having that's exalting itself against the knowledge of Christ needs to be caught like a little fox and cast down. What sort of thoughts can they be? They can be the cares of the world or the cares of life, even burdens that you have for other people. Not bad things even, but things that are just weighing you down. God says, be anxious for nothing but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. In other words, unpack all the stuff. Every day, unpack it, give it over to me, and with thanksgiving, cast your cares on me, and guess what he says after that? The peace of God will rule and reign in your heart. God designed you to live in perfect peace all the time. So when you feel the cares, make sure you don't let them live there. Cast it on the Lord, ask him for help, thank him for his help, release it to him. That's why in, when I do communion every night, I, I hold the bread and I imagine, and I deliberately by faith, I, I say, Lord, I'm putting all the weights, all the cares, this care, and I unpack it one by one. I'm putting that care on your body. Surely you bore my sorrows. I give it to you. I unpack it and I give it to you and I release it to you by faith. Hallelujah. Surely you bore my sorrows. I, I put it all there. I see it. You, saw, you bore my sicknesses. I, I give it all to you. I see it not on me. And I, I see it on you, on your body. And I thank you for it. I eat your bread knowing you've taken it for me. Hallelujah. Catch for us the little foxes. They can look like lies that the enemy wants to bring. It can look like um, sin and compromise. You know, the enemy comes and he tries to convince you that, hey, this righteousness, peace and joy thing, it's an unattainable thing. 
I've got something that seems more immediate and available. You're going to really like this. This is how he does it. He provides opportunity to fulfill natural needs in unholy ways. And he tries to convince you that you, you know, hoping in God to come through just seems too out of touch and too intangible. Yeah, I've got something for you here right now. The lie is that what he's offering is going to be better than what God's offering. But you know, when you look at the temptation of Jesus, I love this. I look at Jesus' temptation. Uh, he was tempted in all the ways that we're tempted, but we, we hear about three specific ones. He was tempted after being hungry for 40 days and nights of fasting to turn stones into bread. But instead of responding and saying, okay, yeah, I want that, to an immediate, unholy way of fulfilling what was a natural desire, he instead resisted, he used the word of God, and what the enemy was offering, he was offering bread. God had instead a plan to make Jesus himself the bread of life that would feed forever the body of Christ. He had a plan to feed the 5,000. He had a plan for Jesus to become the bread that I now can cast my cares on. The plan for bread that God had for Jesus was so infinitely better than just a measly, um, immediate sin. He does it, I mean, you can look at all of the temptations in the same way. Cast yourself down, because the angels will give them, they'll catch you. Well, God, hallelujah, had a much better plan. God was going to raise him up supernaturally up from the earth as he would ascend, hallelujah, and then come down again. Oh, so much better, so much more glorious. And, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you bow down. Well, God was going to give it to him anyway because he was going to become the perfect sacrifice who takes away the sins of the world. And the kingdoms of, our God, of, of men have become the kingdoms of our God. Hallelujah. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Lord of all. You know, there is nothing that the enemy is tempting you with that God doesn't have a plan for something completely better in the very area you're tempted in. In the specific area the enemy is tempting you, God has something infinitely better for you. It's a little fox that comes to spoil the vine and cause you to miss out on the joy that God's got for you. Those little foxes can look like fears, anxieties, concerns. When's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? Is it going to happen? I don't know if it's going to happen. What's going to What if that happens? That could be terrible. I have a rather active mind. I occasionally, I occasionally have little foxes that are anxieties, worries, fears, concerns. And if you don't catch them, they will gnaw at your brain while you're trying to get to sleep. Instead, catch those little foxes because they're spoiling the vine of your love. They're spoiling the perfect peace, the perfect joy that God wants you to live in. You do that by recognizing, is that a thought exalting itself against the knowledge of Christ? Well, yes, Christ is my provider. 
I don't have to be worried. You are my provider. You provide all of my needs according to your riches in glory. When the thought comes and says, I don't know how that's ever going to happen. You can say, my God supplies all of my needs according to his riches in glory. Hallelujah. Get away from me, Satan. Thank you, Jesus. I'm looking forward to what that's going to look like. Well, you need to be worried about this. I think this is going to happen. You can say, I know the plans that my father has for me, plans to prosper me and not to harm me, plans to give me hope and a future. Get away. I'm going to sleep in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to sleep the sleep of the just. Catch those little foxes. Cast them down. Use the weapons you've been given. The weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. It's the word of God that you answer with and you grab a hold of and take from the table, not a sleeping pill, but the things that you need from the table that are gonna allow you to live in perfect peace. I'm preaching better than you're responding. Those little foxes, they can come in all sorts of forms. Any thought you have about yourself as a Christian that doesn't line up with the knowledge of who Christ is, that's a little fox. Those little foxes that come and say, you hypocrite, you're such a hypocrite. You're pathetic. You're not doing enough. You didn't pray enough. You don't read enough. You don't do enough. You're not kind enough. You're not giving enough. You're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. You're not a good enough mother. You're not a good enough father. You're not a good enough sister. You're not a good enough brother. You're not a good enough child. You're not good enough at your job. You're not good enough. Has anyone ever heard that little fox? Shoot the thing. It's an unholy critter. It's a little fox has come to spoil the vine of your love. It's a thought exalting itself against the knowledge of Christ. We know it by this. The Bible says that those who are in Christ are new creations. The old has passed away. Behold, you become new. As he is, 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we in this world. We don't have to fear judgment. We don't have to, we have boldness on the day of judgment because this is the gift I've been given. I have been given his nature. This is who I am. This is what I'm like. I have the mind of Christ. I have the heart of Christ. I have the, the nature of Christ. He is love. Love is kind. I am kind. He is patient. I am patient. This is the truth of who I am. And any thought that you have that comes and says, you're a hypocrite, you're selfish, you're lazy, you're not doing enough, needs to be caught and responded to with truth. It's not about your performance and what you, the, the um, definition you think you've earned. It's about humility that says, I'm going to receive what I can have no part in earning. And as I believe what he says about me, I begin to manifest it. If I believe I'm a hypocrite, I'm going to behave like a hypocrite. But if I believe I am the righteousness of God in Christ, I will live in a power and a confidence that believes that I can walk in righteousness. If I believe that I am kind, I will walk in confidence knowing I have access to this and I'm going to manifest the kindness and the goodness of God. Amen? Hallelujah. We need to catch the little foxes that spoil the vines. You know, I believe, I get frustrated that we have so much knowledge. We are so rich. We've got so much. 
We've got the whole book. Some people have access only to a little shred, a little piece of paper. They don't have access to the whole Bible. We got the whole book in multiple translations. We've got so much. We've got so much. We know so much. But how much are we actually enjoying? How much are we actually deliberately applying? God wants you to take a hold of the kingdom by force, to arise, to get up out of your slumber, catch those little foxes and live deliberately in a continuous state of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost because when you do, the world around you will be attracted to the scent of Jesus. You don't have to live a life of shame and fear and insecurity. You can let his perfect love cast out all fear. You have access to everything pertaining to life and godliness. It's up to you now to arise, to go and taste it, to take it, to have it, and enjoy it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we say thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Papa, let Glory City Church be known by righteousness, peace, and joy. Let the people live in abundance of peace, abundance of joy. Let them live in peace that passes understanding and joy full of glory. Lord, I'm asking that they would overflow with joy in this place. Father, that there would be a people anchored and rooted and grounded in the love of God that casts out all fear. That they would learn to take time to come away and let you make your face shine on them. You who casts away all our fears. You who comes and shines your favor on us. Father, I'm asking, let us be a people who are intimately connected in the knowledge of you, seeking to, to enjoy you and drink deeply from the river of your pleasure for, the, for them, Lord, that they might receive all that they need to overflow and give away in Jesus' mighty name. We're gonna pray for a few people in a moment, but before I do, I wanna ask you today, if you're here and you know in your heart you haven't responded to the invitation to receive Christ as Savior, it's a divine invitation. Jesus Christ was slain for the sins of the whole world. He made a way of escape for you, not to be judged for your sin. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus came to bring life. He offers you a way of escape that takes away your sin and allows you to be connected to the one who's loved you before you were ever created. This one who loves you more than life. But it requires a response. It requires us to say, yes, Lord, I wanna receive mercy. I wanna receive the grace of God. I need forgiveness. Everybody needs forgiveness. And only he is qualified to give us righteousness for our sin. If you say, yes, Jesus, I wanna respond to your mercy. I wanna give my life to you and receive you as Savior and Lord. The Bible says when you do, all of heaven rejoices because they can see how much he loves you. You are his reward. And he longs and waits for you to respond and receive the lifeline he's throwing you, the love that he wants to give you. 
the salvation, the eternal life, freedom and peace. If that's you and you say, yes, I wanna respond to the mercy of Christ tonight. I wanna give my life to Jesus. I want to be born again. Love to you just to wave your hand at me and I'm gonna pray for you before we we go on and pray for anybody else. Is anyone here tonight that says, yes, that's me. I wanna respond to the mercy of Christ tonight. Let me see your hand. God bless you, I see you, that's beautiful. Is anyone else that says, yeah, that's me. I wanna pray for you today. That's so beautiful. Well, let's all just pray together. Can we do that? And if you're watching online, I wanna pray with you too. The Bible tells us, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That is, if you believe that he is the son of God who, was, who died and rose again to take away your sin, to, to reconcile you back to God, to make you clean and to give you eternal life, and you declare it with your mouth, you will be saved. So let's pray together. Father God, I believe you sent your son Jesus to be punished in my place. I believe Jesus died and rose again. Right now, Lord, I bring you all of my sin, all of my shame, everything I've ever done, and I bring it to the foot of your cross. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive me. I receive your mercy, your forgiveness, your grace, your cleansing. I receive your new life, eternal life, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.